What is going on, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of Process Potables. This is episode 79, titled Potables After Dark. I am joined by one of our favorite recurring guests, Marty Teller. You can find him on Twitter at MWTeller. Marty, it's uh, it's an off night for the Sixers, but we still got Sixers after dark, baby. We are right right at tip-off, man. We're 10-10. That's j- just about where a normal game would be. <laughs> it's about what last night was, and it's it's right about what tomorrow should be. So what's going on, man? Long time uh, no see. And even though we're not you know doing video for the podcast, me and you are getting to see each other here. It's nice to see you. Yeah, man. Sharing a drink. It's good to see you. Um, Sixers. Yeah. Sixers after dark late night with the Sixers week. You know, this is like right up my alley. I'm like the, <laughs> the number one uh, fan of, of tips that are not seven o'clock. But you're, you're a sports th- in bed guy. Yeah. Three little kids, man. I just can't I can't get around to like getting the game on until like eight, eight thirty. I think there's like a nine o'clock game coming up on Monday, which is like ideal. Like that, that doesn't get any better for me. Yeah. So, nine is great. I could definitely do yeah. nine, ten. I, I don't really care about late games, but I definitely feel like I would enjoy nine more than ten. Nine on a consistent basis. I, I always like the West Coast trips just because it's an excuse to like, you know, act like an idiot and like you're in college <laughs> again, just like staying up and just like putting on a pot of coffee or just being, you know, a moron about it and being exhausted all day. But hey, when you get a win like they did against the Kings, um, it's worth it, man. I, I was I was worried um, going into that game. You know, we've they've been a weird team to play out there and. Um, they play at a different pace, man. That team looks like they're yeah. on, you know, uh, cocaine. Like, like they're just like all over the place. So, um, it was really nice to come out with the win. And uh, you know, whether it's a two and two road trip, three and one would be a dream. Um, four and zero is probably not really fair to to bank on. But it'd be nice to see them get at least one more on this road trip. Hopefully, two. Yeah, I think I think three and one is definitely possible. Like you said, four and zero is a dream. Uh, last night they come off the win at Sacramento, one nineteen, one eleven. Tomorrow night they're at Portland at ten o'clock. Another late night tip. Saturday three o'clock in Phoenix, which is interesting. That's like noon for them. Yeah, and then you're right. Uh, Monday is nine o'clock at Utah, so that's a four game West Coast swing for them. Tomorrow night it. There's been some weird reports. It looked like initially Seth Curry was going to be ruled out, and now Shake Milton appears to definitely be out. I mean, he's doubtful, so it looks like he won't play. And now I'm hearing reports that the Seth Curry thing was not necessarily the case and that as of now he's available. So I don't know if the Shake news maybe kind of forced them to, to, to need him as well or what happened. But conflicting reports, so it'll be interesting to see tomorrow what, what happens with Seth Curry. But as of now, it looks like Mike Scott, who's been out, and Shake Milton, uh, who has a left ankle sprain, will be out for tomorrow night's game. But it's the Trailblazers, and... They're they're still without CJ, right? So they're still without CJ. I mean, we kind of owe them some payback. I actually feel kind of good about tomorrow night. I think um, I think with the win and the momentum um, from from last night, uh, Tuesday night, um, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, um, I, I just I feel like I feel pretty good. I think they'll go in there with the right mindset. Um, I'm not sure about the last two games of the the road trip. To your point, the three o'clock start on Saturday is kind of weird. Feels a little trappy, especially yeah, heading sure. into. And the especially Suns are playing into, great. They're playing well, and then especially heading into Utah, basically, I mean, Monday, no no one's really talking about it, but you're talking about the two best teams in the league, record-wise. You know, others would argue, you know, there's they may not be the actual best teams, you know, whatever. But Well, the Lakers still have a better record than us, but we have the best record in the East. In the East, right, East versus West, that's what I mean, so... Um, so, you know, that's a pretty exciting game. I could see them kind of maybe peeking ahead to, to Monday, um, and overlooking the sun. So, um, 
We'll see, man. This is, I, I think, you know, really, this is hitting at a real good time for them. They've been playing well, and you know, the the knock on the Sixers and the record has been like, well, they haven't played anybody, and um, you know, their schedule hasn't been that hard. I've heard some of that, and I don't know, you know, I, I you can't put too much into that. You play who's on your schedule, right? Um, and, and they've been dominant. Like, they have. you know, there's been some, you know, a couple weird games where they just don't have it, and everyone freaks out on Twitter. That's fine, but. You know, when you compare it to the past when, um, you know, they would play a really terrible team and just look awful and barely squeak it out at the end, like, you're not really seeing that as much, I guess. And you've seen it from every team this season, in my opinion. You've seen every team that you could expect to be in a conference final play pretty bad against some bad teams. The Sixers are not alone in that. It feels like every year we're thinking that we're the outlier there, and maybe we are, maybe we aren't, but this season, definitely not. The Nets just gave up, I think the Pistons had a season high, 122, and Jeremy Grant tied his career high with 32. Like, the Nets, I thought they were going to route the Pistons even without KD, and they got smoked. Yeah, the Nets are going to be that team this year that, you know, is probably inconsistent all the regular season, and then... You know they're gonna wipe somebody in the first round of the playoffs, and it's gonna be like, oh yeah. You think? Because I mean, I'm not saying they get knocked out in the first, but I don't know if they're wiping anybody because they're gonna have games where they just get torched. Yeah, so I mean, I think the I think the top four of the East is is pretty locked. Um, I think the Nets, you know, once they get to the playoffs, they're gonna be they're gonna be fine. You know, it won't be till the second round. I think you're gonna have a situation where you know their their defensive shortcomings could come into play. I'm I'm kind of hoping they end up getting matched up with the uh, the Bucks and and maybe we play the Celtics, exercise some demons. Um, but yeah, I definitely as far as the easiest route. I mean, I definitely would like to play the Celtics in the second round because I. I'm not worried about them right now, which is an amazing thing to think about. But I really, the way this team is playing, it seems hard to imagine. You know, past experiences be damned, and me regretting this coming up later. Um, I, I, I just, I just don't see it from them right now, man. They look really rough, and I don't think there's a deal that really changes that either. They, um, you know, their their wings still scare me. I think Brown and Tatum are really, really good. I've, I've actually. You know, I'm a huge Brown fan. I mean, I know Tatum's good. I just, I hate him. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, I think that I like the way our team is constructed currently, um, having obviously Ben, but the way Matisse has come on, you know, I know Danny Green isn't quite the, like, point of attack defender that, you know, he may have been at one point. He doesn't move his feet quite as well, but he's still really smart. He's got great hands. Um, you know, I, I like our wings um, against them. So, I, I, you know, again, careful what you ask for, but, you got to beat the team, you know, you got to beat good teams and it'd be nice to exercise like the, the demon that the Celtics are from two of the past three uh, postseasons. And that brings us right into a great point, which I know is something you wanted to talk about, which is, you know, Danny Green and how he's fit in with the Sixers so far and kind of the, I guess we could say, you know, the public perception of him and uh, seems for the most part, is kind of trending pretty downward uh, compared to it's certainly mi- Yeah, it's certainly and, mixed. And especially with how successful the team has been, uh, I don't know if you know people just need to find something to complain about with this team, even when everything's going well. But you know, you you basically asked me, you know, why does everyone think Danny Green is better? They hate Danny Green, and I gotta tell you, I'm not on that page at all. Uh, I tried to dig a little bit, and my thought, even when they acquired Danny Green, was that you weren't acquiring him for the regular season. This guy wasn't gonna show up 
through you know the 72 games or whatever and wow you with anything he wasn't going to put up big numbers he probably wasn't going to look that impressive on the court because this isn't the first season that you could say you know he's lost a step it's not like he looked that good last year in LA or even the year before in Toronto he's serviceable he's a, a very smart veteran player who on both ends of the court knows where to be, is savvy, is clutch, all those things that are a lot harder to figure out if you're just looking at like basketball reference or whatever, you know, he comes through when it matters. And and one of those things that I think Sixers fans need to appreciate is, you know, the idea of a guy who can come through when it matters because we love Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and whatnot, but so far in their playoff careers, they've been pretty underwhelming. And you're going to need that to change this season. Danny Green's not going to make up for that, but Danny Green has the track record that shows that whatever you're getting from him in the regular season, you're getting at least that, if not better, come the playoffs. Like He's the type of guy where that's the stage that he's really going to make his mark. He has not missed the playoffs since 2010, the 2010-2011 season. He's played in every single playoff since then. He has 145 playoff games. He started 139 of them. And in the playoffs from three in his career, he shoots 39% and has been a great defender and has three rings to prove it, including being on the last two teams to win the title. Right. Um, I mean, you, you brought even more, like, you know, backup information than, than I even have. But, like, just, you know, the the Sixers are 16. I think they're, like, um, you know, uh, over 100 possessions, uh, sixteen point, plus 16.6 points uh, per 100 possessions. And they're like 99th percentile as a starting five. So, like, when I watch the team, to your point, like, it might not be like, oh, Danny's putting up a ton of points or, you know, the box score is not always, like, super kind to him. But the reality is the team is super successful when he's on the court, at least with the starting five. So is the idea that you're going to replace him and, and, and push that, like, you know, percentile even higher? Like, you know, ha- like how high is high? And my thing is, to your point, like, there's got to be value. And, and this is the stuff that, you know, I think Maury sometimes maybe undervalued in the past and maybe he learned his lesson or or maybe, you know, still doesn't value it as much. Well, it remains to be seen. But how much is that, like, that experience worth that having somebody who's been there in big games with different teams under different circumstances, like you get rid of Danny, you know, and I'm not saying you can't, you know, if, if it's a move where you're going to take a step towards like getting a Kyle Lowry or somebody like that, like I, I get that, you know, but when we're talking about some of like these mid tier trade targets or, you know, I've seen people say like bench him, like what, do, what are people watching or talking about? You know, it's the threat of his spacing that, creates you know the offensive success that they're having right now it isn't even necessarily the points that he's putting in we're getting enough we're getting enough points in production from you know tobias who we've talked about you know we don't even need to go into anymore but like points proven um you know you know mb mvp you know caliber season um shake off the bench seth you know had a little bounce back now you know feeling better about him i think so it, it just it's just weird to me. Like, I guess his nickname, uh, somebody told me this on Twitter a few weeks ago, like his nickname from his Raptors days, or maybe even from the Spurs was like icy hot. And, (laughs) you know, people talk about like three point shooting and this point's been made before. And it's, it's really true with him. Like he isn't a guy that's going to shoot two for five every night. You know, he's a guy who's going to go Oh, for nine and then go nine for 20. And I think like I said it at the time when, um, he, he tied Dana Barris's record. Number one, like, Dude, imagine the like balls it takes to go 0 for 9 and literally come out the next night and shoot 23 pointers right. in a game. 
like that's a mindset that who who else has that besides like you know the elite shooters in the game like Steph or Clay or somebody like that. So you know I, I just think that kind of people are missing the bigger picture with him and and, and in the right deal sure like I get it. Um, but I just you know people are just sort of like being like he's like I you know he sucks he stinks it's like I. I Guys, just because he shoots bad one night or, you know, just because he gets, like, beat off the dribble. Like, that's – I get it, like, to our eyes, but that's not the whole story, man. He, he He's a big part of why I think they're having the success. I truly do believe that. I agree. And a, a funny thing about that is those are the same people that want Ben Simmons to shoot and claim they won't be upset if he goes over for 3 from 3 one night. <laughs> right. But, but they're, they're mad if Danny yeah, Green does it. Yeah, they're on when he yeah, goes, shoots an air ball from who, 3. Like, who is, I know. Who Ben Simmons is never going to be as good a three-point shooter as Danny Green is. So, yeah, I mean, he's one that's that's the beauty of the construction of the roster is Danny Green knows his role, fulfills his role, and if he has to do something different, like he's going to do it. Like he'll do all the little things you want. If one night he's got to take 23s, then fuck it, he'll take them. That's not a problem. Right. But the next night if you're like, yo, like you're not shoot like don't shoot a 3. I don't he doesn't care. He's not worried about putting up the points, but he'll shoot it. He can shoot it. I I remember watching, I think it was one of the times they played the Celtics, it might have even been the preseason game, and you know Tatum gets right by him. I'm like, oh god, like this is gonna be a thing. Like he's old, and he just picks him clean right from behind. And it's like he knows he can't stay in front of him, so he doesn't exactly. have any delusion of grandeur that he's gonna stay in front of him. He's not gonna put himself in position to to let Tatum draw a foul on him too. He's like, fine, I'm gonna let this kid get in front of me, and I know exactly how I'm gonna pick his pocket still. That's the and type it, of thing you can't like. You have to appreciate and understand that that's going to come to fruition in the playoffs. Plenty, Dan. I totally agree, and I'm so glad you noticed that. Like people are like, "Oh, he gets beat off the dribble every play." Like, well, first of all, a lot of those plays he's he's forcing them in the direction he wants them to go, Correct. where there's either they're going to their weaker hand or there's help defense. Yeah, like people are just thinking that you know, oh, he you know he can't stay in front of anyone. Well, he probably can't stay in front of a. A lot of guys, he, he can definitely stay in front of some, but he's also a smart defender. So, you know, if you're playing, you know, pickup on, you know, you have a fast guy on you, you're going to position yourself differently and be like, okay, I'm, I know this guy's going to beat me off the dribble, but I'm going to make sure I can keep my, you know, my hip on him when he tries to turn that corner so I can give him that little. So he, he knows all those tricks. Right. So, again, like, you know, listen, if you're going to try to put him on like Trey Young, like, yeah, it's, it's not going to have good results. And, <laughs> You know, that's where you have somebody like Matisse. And then you wonder, like, what sort of effect, like, does Danny Green have on a career of, like, Matisse? Like, again, like, I don't know how you measure it, but just being in the same locker room of a guy um, that, you know, could end up following that same trajectory that Danny Green has. If Matisse, like, right. you know, Danny Green is what career, what, 36, 37 percent three point shooter? Think, like, he's I not. I think he's 38. Okay, thirty-eight. Like, sure. but I mean, he's not like a forty percent guy. No. Like, he's not. You know, he's he's a really good shooter. Like, Matisse will never get there, probably. But actually, Matisse his career like... is thirty-nine point nine. I did have it up. Okay, so I, all right, so it's thirty-eight percent for the. <laughs> he's almost thirty-nine percent for the playoffs, and he's just shy of forty for his career. Okay, so he is. I, I didn't think he was like quite that elite. So that's even more of like you know credit to Danny. But my point is, is like you know. Can Matisse, can he rub off on Matisse in a sense of like, you know, maybe not like shooting, but like being in the right spot on the court and being like, hey, this is how I see things offensively. Because one thing Matisse has shown a little bit of ability to do, and I know we want to talk about Matisse too. Yeah, we can just uh, kind of go to that too. So feel free. Just... Is, is, is like Matisse definitely has some cutting ability. 
Um, and that's something, you know, Danny's fantastic at that. Like if you watch him, the nuance where it, maybe it could just be a step or two steps or three steps to the left, to the right, where, you know, he's repositioning himself on a Joel post up so that, you know, not only is he creating space, but he's giving Joel an alleyway to pass the ball. That's the type of stuff that I think he can teach. Yeah, I think you was, know, it, like, was it last up, night that uh, Ben had that awesome pass to him and he was basically putting himself right in the dunker spot behind everybody? Got an easy yep. dunk? I think that was last night. I was like, holy shit, Danny Green? What is he doing down there? But that's like the intelligence he has is he's not a guy you think that about, but he, he understands and he has that awareness. And instead of just sitting in the corner, which most people think that's all he's going to do, he slides right in and Ben finds him. It was an awesome play. Yeah. So I think like, you know, again, like just his his impact on the team. I don't know if like, you know, it'll be one of those things like if we're lucky enough to see a championship, you'll probably hear those stories afterwards where it's like, oh, you know, you know, Danny really helped keep us together. Or, you oh, know, for he, sure. He, you know, those are the stories you'll hear. Um, if they don't have success, we probably won't hear much, you know, about it. And he'll probably, you know, go in, uh, in a different direction. I don't know if he'll sign a team friendly deal here for another year or two. And, you know, I don't know if again, like, it is a catch 22 because I think long term, he's not your long term, you know, um, you know, fit at whatever shooting guard, small forward, whatever you kind of want to call it. Um, they're going to have to do something there. But I also think like when you hear Maury say they're all in this season, I can't see a scenario unless you're using him to get up to like that Kyle Lowry level type of player, which I don't know if like Lowry, Beal, Levine, like I don't know if any of those guys are going to get moved. I'm really doubtful. Um, I don't see how like using him for any sort of like mid kind of starter level guy um, is going to make you better. I think if anything, it's like neutral or could be actually like, you know, worse where you're like, oh, you know, we're getting this guy who's maybe a little better offensively, but lacks the like defensive awareness. So I'm, you know, what I'm looking for and I know we're going to talk some trades later, too, is like, how can I churn like the bottom of the roster, like the Vince Vince Poirier, the Terrence Ferguson's, the even, you know, you know, rest, you know, sorry, Mike Scott, like, you know, hi, but like Mike Scott, like, how can I turn that, you know, eight, nine, 10 million into like one more really helpful rotation piece right. that, you know, maybe, maybe can start, maybe, you know, if you need to change the look a little bit, but, you know, it can also be part of a bench unit that I like a lot, but it's still really green when you talk about like Shake and Furcon and Matisse, like you don't really have that veteran, you know, this isn't the guy I want, but just like a Lou Williams, like just somebody that's super steady that can get some buckets. Um, You know, I know PJ Tucker's a name I hear a lot to me that that would be a luxury. And I don't think that's like the number one need that they have. Yeah. We'll definitely get to all that. I agree. But I think that's also when you were talking about, you know, this is a whole other conversation, but when you're talking about, you know, Danny Green's not the long-term answer, but it, it would be nice if maybe, you know, next year if he wants to come back, that maybe then they're in a position where, you know, they feel better about Matisse starting with another year of growth and he's the guy off the bench instead of the way it is now. And I think that yeah. that could work really well. Like if this team has, is expecting to continue with title aspirations, Danny Green as the guy off the bench is like an absolute dream. Um, I get if people are like maybe a little concerned about him being the starter but it's also like semantics like he's the starter but he's not playing insane minutes he's definitely like the kind of the odd man out there and there's going to be times where they need you know Matisse in there for extra energy or they need Furkan in there for a little more offense or if there's a move to be made then sure and credit to credit to Doc you know Doc's gotten knocked a lot for his rotations this year which again like I feel like sometimes I'm watching different games or just thinking about different teams (laughs) 
and and one of the things that I love is his willingness to like sort of try different lineups at this oh, point yeah. in the year to collect some data, you know, to say like, you know, who are the guys I can depend on? You know, one of the things he said when he first started was like, we can't, our, our bench has to hold, you know, carry its own water. Like we can't just like split up Joe and Ben the whole game. Like, and he's not been doing that. No, and, not at all. And, you know, even the other, runs, not, like, like, I feel like he runs way more pure bench units than Brett ever did ever did and and dude that's paying dividends they finished the game not just against the kings but uh i forget what the other the comeback game um what was the co- big comeback they had a, a week or so ago the pacers one the pacers yeah the pacers where they finished the game with um shake and um and matisse yeah i <laughs> i turned that game off and then i uh i saw they were back within 10 and i'm like all right, I'll entertain the idea of this. And it's like, yeah, like he is, he, it seems like he's pressed all the right buttons so far. And yeah, so I, I, I just, you think know, that, I was like, a Brett guy. Like I was a Brett guy. I course. really loved Brett I, as a, and, and I'm well, still, as a, like, I'm still trying to give Doc all the credit in the world that I can. Like he's done an incredible job. Brett's, Brett was a great, you know, a great guy by all accounts. And, you know, I think that, you know, credit to be given to him. I mean, 51 seasons, you know, uh, playoffs, you know, taking this team from the bottom. But, you know, there is an expiration date, you know, on these coaches, unfortunately, For especially sure. at, at the professional level. It'll, it'll hit Doc here in, you know, three, four or five years probably. But <clears throat> hopefully in the meantime, you know, it, it seems like he has such a strong staff. It seems like Cassell is, is making a real oh, difference yeah. there. The offense flows so much better. I mean, you got to give Jaeger probably some credit there. So, um, again, just like I, I'm, I'm really happy with where this team is. It's been a really enjoyable season. Um, I see people like I really don't tweet a lot during games, and I think we were talking about in the beginning. Like I rarely watch like a full game live, so I do the uh, the hinky special where a lot of times I'll watch <laughs> like I'll watch like the third and fourth quarter, and then go back and watch the first half, or uh, I'll watch like. You know, the first quarter um, on DVR, flipping it on to watch the end of the game live and then watch the middle. And it does kind of give you a different perspective of like, you know, guys, you know, guys can struggle and play great within the same game. Right. Like Tobias the other night was like looking a little bit like, you know, uh, the Tobias. I think everyone thinks he is for the first couple quarters against the Kings in the fourth quarter. He killed it. So um, it just I think it's like good sometimes to like not tweet through it but you know to each their own by all means but yeah i mean if that's i think what it it's takes, just, that's what it takes but also yeah. realize that you might say some dumb shit in the moment like i definitely <laughs> right. do that all the time and you know i i don't if anyone's like oh like you said this it's like yeah you know at the time that, right. that's how i felt but obviously you know even then I, I did have some under you know there's definitely some tongue-in-cheek i mean not everybody's this way but right. the uh the other thing to your point about guys just like you know maybe slowly getting themselves into some of these games is I know everyone's dealing with it, but this season especially, you have to consider the the short off season. I bet these these teams are barely probably practicing between the yeah. tight schedule and how beat up they probably are. So you figure, you know, it, most of these guys probably aren't going to come out in the first quarter and light something up. And yeah, it, it's really unfortunate when somebody on the other team does, especially on a bad team, when a guy like De'Aaron Fox comes out and starts kicking your ass or a Bradley Beal or whatever, but that's what those guys do is they kind of just, you know, torch the whole game, but they're also not winning that much. Like there's something to be said for, okay, these guys can, you know, score the whole game. But once your team gets its feet set and starts playing their game, especially the six are starting five, like it's lights out. And he, yeah. and the crazy part is to your point about them being in like the 99th percentile. And we know that they're 14 and zero with that starting five is, you know, they 
it's insane, but they can take a quarter, a quarter and a half off and still beat the shit out of you. And, and it's not even like taking it off. I mean, it's right. often said, and it's true. It's it's a game of runs, right? Every team's going to make make their run. Um, you know, any decent team's going to make their run. You're not going to just beat the doors off of somebody for four straight quarters, usually. Yeah, you know, yeah. sometimes you do. But, Especially this team. Um, but but really, I mean, the stat that's been jumping out to me is the, like how well this team has played in the fourth quarters. Oh, yeah. And 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 Bede's dominance and Tobias's consistency. Well, hold on and, to that because we have a question about that too. So don't let's okay. We'll save the fourth quarter talk for Any, sure. Anything anything else like with Matisse? I mean, I know you and I were talking pre-show a little bit, just like about you know. Yeah, how I, I, I really just want to know if you think like what do you value more? And obviously, any any time you have a conversation like this, it's definitely some of both. But if you have to say what do you what do you think's more, uh, contri- what's contributing more to how good Matisse has looked, especially as of late. Uh, do you think that's more development in him, or do you think it's like the way that Doc uses him? I think it's the way Doc's been using him. I, I we might have talked about this before. I might have talked on on Trill's podcast too. Like I think Matisse is a guy like he needs to play every night. Like he needs like the consistent. I think you showed me a stat like he's played over twelve minutes like the last five games, or you know he he needs to be in that fifteen to twenty range every night. I think at least offensively to kind of get into a rhythm. I think like what happens is these guys that are sort of like borderline rotation guys, um, when when they get on the when they get on the court and they're not sure about their minutes, they're sort of like stressing. They're sort of like you know panicking to um, you know make plays. And I think that's when you see him like reach and like you know do some silly things on defense. I think when he's in the natural flow of of each game, you know he calms down a little bit. You know that block he had on Fox was ridiculous the other night. It was crazy. Um, and and just gets into a better flow offensively, and and you know that's when you usually see him knock down some shots. So I I do th- I mean he's obviously growing, but I don't think his like I don't think I've seen a ton of change. You know people hate on his dribbling. Like I think his dribbling is like generally fine. Like I I don't know it, it never has like jumped out at me like he's this awful dribbler or something. So um I, I just think he's being used in a way that allows his skills to um you know really like really showcase his skills. He's a savant defensively. He really Absolutely. is and. And I was saying to you, like pre-show, like you know, I almost think of like an like an Ed Reed, like an NBA version of Ed Reed, where he just like he's just so disruptive, and like yeah, he'll get beat, and like he'll give up a big play here and there, but he he's so disruptive, you know, with the deflections and the steals and the blocks and um, getting out in transition that you know overall it really stymies another team's offense, and it just changes the look. Like you know, you get used to okay, this is how Philly plays defense. It's Embiid, you know, in the back, and everything funnels to him. And then all of a sudden you bring in this, like, wild card wing player that's, like, you know, like a Marcus Peters, like that type where you're just like, oh, shit. Like, you know, and all of a sudden, like, you got to kind of change the way you're doing things. Do you mean Marcus Smart? Well, I was saying, like, Marcus Peters from, like, a football. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm using the football analogy still. Like, just guys that are, like, just guys that are like ball hawks, man, and like you have to live with some of the like, yep, got beat on the double move, yep, just like got beat on a head fake. You know, he still fouls three point shooters way too much. That's frustrating, but you know, hopefully those are the things that'll you know continue to improve as he gets more minutes and is more comfortable in his role with the team. Yeah, and we talked about this before, but to kind of recap, the my favorite point we came across with that was we know that under Brett Brown, the defense was basically just. You know, funnel everything to Embiid, and Embiid would always be in in what they called the Batman role, and they used it across the organization. The Blue Coats do it too, and that's where you've seen Pell and um, oh man, Kumaje have success mm-hmm. down there as well. And 
that's all well and good. But I think that Doc has, while well, well, obviously because of how great Embiid is, is still definitely using that to a degree. I think there's definitely an, an addition in the way he uses Ben Simmons and he's getting more out of him than Brett did because he's letting Ben kind of be that Ed Reed floater. And we talked about it because there was the game where Beal absolutely cooked us and everyone was asking Doc, they said, why didn't Ben guard Beal more? And he said, we like Ben in that off the ball floater role where he can get deflections and things like that, which I tweeted earlier. I already told you to make sure that you're following Marty at MW Teller. But if you're not already following me, I'm at Dan says that. That when I was doing my research for this, you know, selfless plug, Ben Simmons leads the league in deflections at four per game. He's the only guy at four. And then if you go to per 36, it's Matisse at 6.1. So both of them are are causing chaos at like that wild card thing you talked about. But I think that, you know, now there is basically a, a, a team defensive scheme that involves Ben Simmons doing that. And Matisse gets to come in off the bench and do the same thing. And he has so much of the same traits and skill sets that Ben Simmons has. And you're right. He he fouls three-point shooters. I, I put out there, you know, in his last five, he only has six fouls. So hopefully, you know, maybe he's kind of learning from that. But as far as the getting burnt thing, I think that was a big concern last season. Obviously, as a rookie, and we knew even just seeing his highlights and what he was going to come in and do, we, we I think a lot of people were prepared for that to be a problem. I already think the jump from last year to this year has shown that, you know, he's caught up to the NBA a lot. And I see way less of him getting absolutely burned on bad decisions. Now, does that mean he doesn't get beat? Sure. But I definitely see the gambling part being way more successful and way less detrimental than even last year. So if that continues at, at a trajectory like that, then it's, it's going to be insane, which n- not isn't necessarily the case, but just the improvement from year one to year two is, is really it, impressive to me. It, the de- the defense is so good that you know they do really need to take every opportunity they have during this rookie contract to turn him into like a passable offensive player. Because right. on the flip side, on the flip side, if you had an offensive player who was you know as elite as as he is defensively, but just like couldn't play defense, it would be the same story. Be like we just have to figure out how to make this guy passable defensively because he's so good on the other side of the ball. So you know if if they get to the end of his rookie contract and you know he still just hasn't developed at all, like okay, you know. You, you you gave it you know you gave it a shot but they owe it to themselves with his like op- the opportunity to develop a wing like that um to try to do everything they can to get him up to speed offensively yeah and you know i i've been trying to find the the positives in his his last couple games the the downside to that is he's only taken two threes in his last six games and he made one of them so that i mean you just have to see you know we we talked a little bit about earlier how i don't believe that anybody will actually be happy if ben shoots more threes and misses a bunch of them but matisse is actually the guy that at least for now i just want to see the attempts go up then i'll worry about them going in but for him being you know a role player off the bench i just want to see a few more opportunities to know that he's working on it and he's taking them and then we have to then become concerned whether they go in or not but right now it's really bad to see him only taking two over six games Agreed. Yeah. For him to have a true role, you know, in a significant way, you know, he he has to be a guy who's willing to, to take those threes and make them at, you know, 34, 35, 36 yep. percent. Yeah, just Agreed. You know, slightly below league average. That's fine. Doesn't even need to be league average. Just has to be there. Right. I, I forgot to get to this at the beginning before we do more sixes. Marty, what are you what are you drinking, man? You told me you made it. I made, made a little. A drink? I did. 
Yeah, well, last time I was on with you guys, you guys had some nice uh, crafts going on, and I was drinking coffee. <laughs> so I thought I would, uh, I'd pour myself a little, uh, little vodka soda. I got Ooh. a nice little. Uh, uh, Polish, I think Polish or uh, Russian uh, vodka in the in the cabinet. So, did a little heavy pour. Just figured I'd you know let it loose a little bit tonight. It's late, right. you know late night with this late night with the Sixers, man. Portables what about you? After dark, baby. All right, I am cracking. Up. I've been waiting to open it. So now I was like, okay, I got to ask him what he's drinking <laughs> so I can finally open it so I can get the foley here of the can crack because that's good stuff. I got this Hot Fly Dance Off. It's just a nice juicy IPA, a little under seven percent. It's double dry hopped with Galaxy, Eldorado, and Vic Secret hops. I have said it before, and I'll say it again. Anything with Galaxy hops to me is usually up there with my favorites because it just makes it like gives it that smooth, creamy kind of feel instead of the more like pale, bitter kind of thing. So anything with Galaxy hops is usually up there for me. So I'm gonna indulge myself there. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> Once it hits your lips. Once it hits your lips, it's so good, man. So the other thing I wanted to ask you about the starting five, which we've talked a lot about it. So, you know, if we don't have anything else too crazy, that's fine. But I wanted to ask you, Marty, you know, what do you think is more important to the success of the starting five? We know they're 14 and 0 when everybody plays. Is it, if you have to choose between these, is it that you're getting more out of Embiid and Harris, specifically, you know, comparing them to last year where we know Harris had a down year and Embiid, it was still great, but this year he's obviously putting up MVP-type numbers. Or is it the additions of Seth Curry and Danny Green, who we've already talked a lot about Danny Green, and at least for us it seems like we you know, believe that he's provided value, especially outside of the box score. We haven't really talked about Seth that much. Uh, he was out with COVID for a little while, so he's kind of been off the radar, but he you know, had a real great game last night to, uh, to get them that win at Sacramento as well. So if you have to choose between those two, you know, what do you think it, you kind of lean more toward? It's, it's Embiid. Um, I mean, those guys coming on and, and balancing the, the roster, you know, is significant. But, you know, we, I, we always said this was like the Sixers will become true contenders when either or both Ben and Joel make the leap. And I think like Joe has definitely made the leap. And it's and, you know, it, it's with passing. And it's so it's so weird because <clears throat> I think his scoring numbers are up a bit and his, his rebounding is, you know, as good as it's ever been. But it's the passing. And I don't even know if, you know, I know he had six assists, I think, the other night. I don't know if the assists are like way higher, but he's so much more willing to pass out of the uh, out of the double teams. And you know that was a decision he made, and I I don't know if you got a chance to read uh, Yaron's um, article the other day, just like with his um, you know increased uh, conditioning in the off season. I did not. But um, it, it's really well it's a it's a well written article. Uh, I was in I think five thirty eight, but um, they you know he's he really did change like his diet and his you know uh, massage and like everything. And I've, I have read about that. Maybe I did read it then, but I know I've, I've heard things about that all season. So I'm definitely aware. So, so I think, I mean, again, I, I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's both. But if you're asking me to say what's more important, it's, it's Embiid. It's Embiid. And if, you know, you know, we know what it is with Ben and if he ever, you know, takes that leap, um, you know, in terms of finishing around the basket, you know, becoming like a 70% foul shooter, then then this team like honestly the sky's the limit yeah, like long term it's over <laughs> it's it is over. so so you know it's it's great to see that because you know now that it seems like Ben's going to be here you know you never know but um now that the Harden like stuff is done you know maybe it maybe this season from Embiid kind of sparks Ben to to maybe move in that direction 
I hope so, and especially with, with Harris back too. I think there's got to be a lot more pressure on Ben to now, like, you know, I think Ben had a really good season last year, which I think people forget how good he really was, especially for that extended period that Embiid was out when Ben was putting up like 30 against the Nets on MLK Day. Like, he was unreal. <laughs> like, he carried right. this team for a stretch. He He showed the flashes that makes everybody so mad because it's always just flashes but it's there i i would like to think that now seeing Embiid in mvp shape and tobias harris with a legitimate you know all-star p- potential and way more than ben simmons this season for sure that ben maybe feels a little bit more of that pressure the question is does he really respond to it which i think has always been one of the big concerns is does he does he respond to that does he care that much because right the, the, the his the way he presents it is always like i don't i don't care about this i just like play <laughs> basketball and you're like yeah i mean sometimes you want to hear that and sometimes you want to hear like nah like i want to be the best like i think we love Embiid wearing his heart on his sleeve and you know I, like one of the biggest things for Embiid for me has been off the court or after the games, like some of these post-game pressers, when he's talking to Mark Zumoff and he's talking about how he wants to, you know, be great for his son and he wants his son to look back and see that his his, his dad was a league MVP and all this. I'm like, man, like that's that's fucking cool, man. Like, and if you know if if that's what it takes for him to play like this, like you said, you know, the scoring stuff, he's averaging over 29 a game. That 18-19 season, he was at 27 and a half, and we were, like, scared about how much they were using him <laughs> and worried if he could keep that up. I mean, he's at 29 a game, 11 rebounds a game, you know, almost a steal and a half, almost a block and a half. Like, he, this is insane. This is absolutely incredible. And the one thing that I never thought would happen that I think we all talked about, like, this would break everything, is the three-point efficiency, Oh my gosh. Almost 38%. And I was texting, you know, friend of the pod, Ty Dalbert, the other night, and, you know, thoughts thoughts and prayers have been with him for a while coming back from a, uh, you know, an issue that hospitalized him for a little bit. Uh, I love you, Ty. You're going to come back and kill it, but you already know I've told you that. But the one, like, I don't know how you, but I feel like every time he shoots a three, it looks like it's going in. And I never felt that way before. Like, there was something drastically different with the way he is shooting. It's his. It's his legs, man. Like, you can see it, like, in the end of games, like, where, you know, he would front rim a bunch of shots. You don't see that now. You see him having the legs. Like, dude, the fact that he finally, like, is willing to take those, like, step into 16-footers where the defense is just, like, backing up, backing up. Yeah. um, And he's willing – like, before he, like, just wasn't willing to take those. He's so good at those. Like, I know that's, like, you know, the nasty, like, mid-range. But when you're as good as – Yeah, but for him, it doesn't matter. Exactly. Exactly. And it makes him so much more dangerous because then they have to guard it, and then that's where he starts picking up fouls because he can pump and go and uh, uh, the rip through move and all that. So, so one thing, you know, just going back. So we were talking about Ben Simmons. Like one thing that just hit me the other day when I was like, you know, doing my usual like basketball reference hoops type stuff. Like Ben's still only twenty four. Yeah. Like he doesn't turn twenty five till July, and like you know, it it took till this season. I think I think Joe's twenty seven now. Um, it, it took to this time for Joe to like, for it to click. Like, I, I think that's something we still have to keep in mind is like, as much as we want it for Ben, like 24, man is still so young. Like it wouldn't shock me if it, you know, maybe he never, like it never clicks and he just never takes that, like that one more kind of big step. I don't even know if it's a leap anymore, just that, that big step up. Um, but it wouldn't shock me. Like it's still like, there's still time for that to happen. Uh, well, um, I love that you said that, Marty, because now you've just set me up. Because you want to know who's even younger than Ben Simmons? 
Tell me. Furk on Korkmaz. Oh, yeah, baby. Let's hear He's it. He's only 23, man. So I I need give me two like two good minutes on on Furkan because I know he's your guy. Um, I've always you know I I've always liked him. Like I never, um, you know I know some people like you know tweet like oh he's not even an NBA player. Like he's clearly an NBA he's player. Clearly um, an NBA player. And listen, he, I'm not a, I'm not even I'm not even if I drop the bit, I'm not even saying he's a starter. He's not a starter in the league. Not on a good team, but he's definitely like an eighth guy. Like he can play. So, minutes he's six seven i don't think anybody realizes that he has like the body and he can he's got awesome size and he can he's like, got awesome he can be like a two to three tweener like he's not going to be any backup point guard or anything like he's definitely a shooting guard he could get away with small forward if you have to and and he'll hang and he'll bang a little bit he's not great but he's not going to get exposed like a jj ever did so let me pour some cold water on this because this is something I've been thinking about as we like probably move towards into some trade talk. Like, he's an unrestricted free agent this summer, mm-hmm. and you know there's there's not as much money out there as like there once was, and there's I don't think there's quite as many teams maybe, but there's going to be teams out there, and we saw what shooters got paid. Now I was thinking about this today, like Bertans gets paid, um, Joe Harris gets paid, but then like a guy like Bryn Forbes, who you know is like as good a shooter maybe a touch below like barely got a minimum deal because i think his defense like makes him kind of like a borderline nba player where do you think furcon fits into this team's future like do you think they see him as a guy that they can get back for like like a chetty osmond contract which is like i think like seven eight million a year like do you think it it would be that high do you think it could be higher i don't i honestly like i i think do you I, think he wants to start somewhere like do you think he's no. like hey like i i want to go play like i'll go play for orlando if i can start next year no like, what do you think now this is purely speculation obviously i have no fucking idea but the one thing that like i was mad that he was almost going to go back to like turkey and play and that the i didn't think this is we're going to offer him anything and when he came back on like the two-year, $4 million deal, I was like, holy shit, this is the greatest thing ever. And here's the one thing I'll say to that is that I do not believe there's any way he wasn't offered something more elsewhere. Which one – I so, okay, let me start with one. One, I don't think he is will ever be opposed to just going back to Turkey. I don't think he's dead set on staying here. But he did, for almost nothing, stay here. So, one, he either – Likes it here, yeah, but he asked for a trade before. Like at one point, like I think it was his rookie year or something. He was like, "I might, I like came out and asked for a trade." Right, and my guess is that no one really wanted to do it, or they probably would have because they didn't pick up his options. So why wouldn't they? My guess right. is no so one then, called. So then, why would he? Have, why do you think he would have gotten more? Like you, you said, he could have signed elsewhere. Oh, you're saying like you're saying now? No, I no, I'm saying I'm saying like I'm saying after this season, like what do you think's what do you think is going to happen with him? Like, do you think it's reasonable that they could resign him at like a reasonable price? Do you think he'll right. get? Well, that's what I'm saying. So I think I think there's a chance that like he, there's two things that I think come from everything I said is that either he likes it here, or he wants to be he doesn't want to play on a shit team that he he at least wants to be on a on a contender, which I think is the only reason he came back and took the two for four. So my thought is that either. He's here on like an okay deal, or he he. I mean, I think it would take a substantial overpay to send him to a bad team. I like I I was petitioning the other day. Like, I think three fifteen could keep him here. Three fifteen. Okay, it'll be interesting. I'm that's he he's a guy. I'm I'm really interested of what Maury 
does in the next two months with because I think there's some teams that would see him as interesting and the fact that he comes with full bird rights I think is an interesting sort of like twist um, because of that contract. If you, he goes to the Celtics, um, I'm going to fucking kill myself, Marty. Well, That's the only not, thing no, I can say. Maury's, well, Maury's not going to trade him to the Celtics. No, but, but well, he, I mean, um, he could just sign there. That's what I mean. So, like, so that's the other thing. Like, you know, does Maury, does Maury, like, you know, are there advanced stats that, like, you and I don't have, you know, access to that, you know, has, like, the smart GMs, like, Furcon's, like, one of the, like, hidden gems. And, like, you know, somebody signs him, like, on a, like, a 324. And just because of our luxury tax situation and maybe some other things, like, that, you know, Daryl wants to do or the ownership wants to do, they're just like, yeah, we think Isaiah Joe can, like, fill that role eventually. Like, I'm just curious. Like, I just wonder if he's a guy that, you know, if they want to hang on to like future picks and, you know, don't want to, um, you know, dip into to that like asset trove, like, you know, the limited amount they have left. Like, is he a guy that they go, hey, you know what, like, let's let's dangle him as like the, um, you know, little bit of like, you know, extra in a deal to get like a guy that helps us maybe a little more now. I, I, I don't know. I'm not like I'm not um, like promoting that. Like, I'm not. No, I, I understand. I that. I'm just I'm really I think he's an interesting guy to watch. I think the, I think for two. just this season, I think his value here, even if he ends up being out of the playoff rotation later down the line, I think his value here is more than what it would be in any trade because it's just an expiring small deal and you're not going to trade him to anyone else who's contending. Like I just don't know. I know about the so, I know the bird rights, but I don't know if that matters too much with a guy like him. So here's so here's I don't know if we can segue, but like here's a question I've had that I've oh, wait, been wondering. If you're, gonna, if you're gonna go into another topic, I just I wanted to say this before when we were talking about Embiid real quick because for some reason okay. I, like I usually have a real bad memory with like real specific things, but this season has been there's been so many like not the highlights are not like the 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 game winning stuff, but there's just been so many little plays this season that have made like I'm I'm loving this season, Marty. I'm having it's so great, much fun. Dude, it's, I'm, it's, I'm, I'm I'm really not like I have not had much to complain about. But when you when you were talking about when we were talking about Embiid and you were talking about you know him pulling into that mid range, did you you watch the Lakers game? Course, yeah. Do you remember like his first possession? He he just stared down Gasol and he took a little sidestep like twelve footer and sunk it. And I swear, man, like I haven't gone back and like looked, but I swear in my mind, whether you know this has been forged by my subconscious or not, like <laughs> he just like fist pumped right away and was like, Oh, I got this motherfucker tonight. And that yeah. was that was the that that's when it switched for me. Like it took that long for me to be like, oh my god! Like he had, he's here. Like he is actually the MVP, which we're going to talk about. But that was the moment because the whole time leading up to that game, I was thinking, man, like the Lakers and Marcus Sol, like that could really be annoying. And as soon as he hit that shot, and I just saw something in his face, I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dominate this motherfucker tonight." And the Lakers weren't even, the Lakers didn't even have him out there at the end of the game, I know, because they didn't believe in him to stop him. Like Embiid put that entire stigma to rest in less than a game. He already talked them out of it. That's how fucking well, good he's been, Marty. Well, you might as well. I mean, we might as well just close the book on Embiid. So, from an MVP perspective, I mean, you know, it's funny the way that like. Well, let me Media. read the result. Let me read the results first for anybody who doesn't know before okay. we talk about. It. So today was like the first like straw poll of the MVP or whatever. Which again, we're what are we twenty five to thirty games into the season at this point? It's not that big a deal. But so LeBron was pretty far ahead of Embiid, and then Jokic is closer to Embiid than Embiid is to LeBron. But those three are clearly the 
the top tier because LeBron had 760 points, so they tally it up. You know, between first, it's first to fifth place votes um, are all capable of giving you points. So LeBron had 760, Embiid had 665. Jokic had 596, and then in fourth is Durant with 272. So, I mean, it's a it's a three horse race, and most people are saying while Jokic is like obviously impressive with his stats, that I mean they're like floating at 500 right now. So that's right. probably going to be a kick in the in the ass to him if it comes down to it. So right now you're looking at LeBron and Embiid fighting for it, and the only the only positive thing for Embiid here, which is pretty cool, is he was the only guy on all 100 ballots. LeBron actually wasn't on one ballot. But Embiid was That's on all weird. of them. It's dumb. I mean, the whole thing's fucking stupid. Like, Paul George got a first-place vote. He's not even the best guy on his team. <laughs> yeah. But um, I mean, I think the, the, the Jokic thing, like, you know, you, you do have – you know, I know Westbrook got it a few years back, whatever, and it's like a lot of people regret that vote. I think Zach Lowe <laughs> said that. Like, um, you, you, can't, you can't be on, like, a 500 team or – you know, and I'm sure the Nuggets will be better, but, I, you know, it's going to be hard to make up ground in a season like this. There's only 72 games, and, and especially in the West. So – to me, to me, I, I don't think there's much of an argument between Embiid and Jokic just because I think, you know, again, unless the Sixers like plateau or bottom out, right. then it's a different situation. But as things are sort of trending right now, I don't think there's an argument really between Embiid and Jokic. I do think like I, I, I don't think Embiid will win. I think it's going to be LeBron. And I'll tell you why, because I think there's been so many seasons where LeBron should have won. And I think the fact that he's doing this this season at this age, that it's almost sort of like, well, who knows? He might not do this for like forever. Like we should probably give him one more of these. And I just think it's not a sympathy vote. He's certainly deserving, but I just yeah. think it, that's a I, great point. I, I think that'll be like, you know, I think the media will be like, yeah, we'll, we'll vote and be number two, like in this, you know, five thing. And, and when it all flushes out and beat, will be right there. But I think it'll be LeBron that gets it is, is my, again, unless the Sixers like, like, well, unless well, here's you know, my similar... counterpoint, Marty, and right, I have it. I haven't thought about yours, so that's a really good point, and that's definitely how they think because it's narrative based. Yeah, it's always narrative. But here's what I'm thinking so far: is I'm thinking that this vote specifically is people hedging that they don't trust Embiid to do this the whole way, and that's Fair. the thing is they don't they Fair. they're not going to put him one now because they know how that's going to look and they're going to think that it's going to look bad on them later when he misses 10 games or when his average dips down to 25 instead of 29 but I think we both like kind of agree here like if he actually keeps this pace up and misses you know minimal games like there's always going to be that thing where if you miss too many games they're going to knock you out of it so let's say they play 72 like he's got to play 62 like that's probably the floor, and even that might be iffy. But he's got to play and, sixty. And what's he missed? How many has he missed so far? Three, uh, three or four, I think four actually. So yeah, yeah I mean it's possible, but I think that he's got to play sixty-two of seventy-two. If it's anything less than that, then that's going to kill him. But if he plays sixty-two at this rate, and there's no extended absence, and these numbers stay about where they are, like I think he wins it, man. I really do. LeBron's numbers just aren't there. I think that this vote is definitely predicated on we know LeBron can do this all year. We know the Lakers are going to be there. We're not going to credit Embiid for a team that we don't trust to do it. But by all accounts, it looks like he's got a man. Yeah, there's still a lot of season left. And I think, you know, another thing that could happen is if the, you know, Sixers end up, you know, 
every game that the starting five plays, like let's say they win them all, like you're, you're close to it. You know, they almost won every game at home last year at one point. So, I mean, it's not crazy to think that, you know, that they could be, you know, something, whatever, and two. And then to your point, Embiid misses 10 games and they lose, you know, seven of those. But, um, you know, so record could play, you know, if, if they have the far and away the best record or the best record overall in the league, like to me, that would be where it would be like, yeah, I don't know how you not vote for Embiid if that's the case. Also, if the Jazz yeah. somehow actually hang on to the one seed in the West and we're the right. one in the East, you're going to give it to LeBron on the two seed over Embiid on the one seed. Like, I know that's minimal, but it's it's narratives, man. It is. In an East with Durant, Harden, and Irving in Brooklyn, with Giannis and Drew and Middleton in Milwaukee, and, you know, the Jays in Boston. There's a lot, man. <laughs> so, okay, so going back to what I was what I was getting at. So I think yeah. that kind of, like, satisfies the MVP talk. Yeah. Okay. So how much do you think Maury is looking at this year as, like, a I'm going for it while balancing, like, the future. And what I mean by that is like thinking in terms of like flexibility for the future. So like I think one of the reasons Danny Green's name gets brought up is because he's that expiring 15 million. The Sixers are over the cap, so if he were to just stay and leave, it's not like they get 15 million dollars in cap space unless they did some sort of sign and trade or something. They they just lose that contract and then you know, they're looking at like the um, taxpayer MLE. Really, that's it to, to replace them. And they have this TPE that they have right now. So like how, how much do you think Maury is and how much do you think he should be looking at the future to say like, hey, I want to make sure like I'm putting us in the best position now, but I might make this move that like doesn't do anything this year or maybe makes us like a hair worse, but would really set us up for the future. Like I've proposed like, you know, maybe they take on like Eric Gordon's contract and like would Houston give them a first like to do that, to get him off their books. Gordon would help maybe I think off the bench, but you know, it is a contract that, you know, would, would fit into that um, like that Danny green slot and you'd pick up an extra first. Like, is that the type of move that we should be thinking about like what do you think about that as far as like balancing like right now this opportunity in front of us and being like quote-unquote all in versus like still having like maneuverability and flexibility and picks this offseason that if Beal does become available or if you know Steph you know who knows like or, or if you can do a sign and trade for Kyle Lowry like how much do you think we should be balancing that well, there's a difference between what I think we should be doing and what Maury thinks. Well, I'm asking, I'm asking both. So, okay. like, what, yeah, what do you no, that's, think, that's, and then what that, do you think Maury's doing? That's what I'm saying. So, Maury, by all accounts that I can guess, and obviously this is from a limited uh, perspective of watching him in Houston, I think if this team stays this way and they're the one seed and it gets to there, I, he's going to go all in, and I think it's it's everything be damned. Now – you said earlier, like, you're not really sure that, you know, guys like Levine and Beal are necessarily even moved this deadline or anything. And I kind of agree with you. Like, I don't know if there's going to be a move that is that big that you're sacrificing too much anyway. So I think any move he's going to make this season to go all in shouldn't really hand uh, impact future flexibility all that much. And if he's proven anything in his time with the Sixers by getting out of the Horford deal and bringing in Danny Green and Seth Curry, it's that... I mean, he did a lot in a fucking terrible situation, and I'm not really sure it's ever going to be much worse than that. So <laughs> at this point, I have all the faith in him to be able to move the pieces, even if it doesn't look great on paper at the time. But, and I mean, 
I think I'm projecting what I would do onto him, but kind of I think he does the same as if if I truly believe in this team, which it's taken me a while, I've been very hesitant, but right now, dude, I'm there. Like I'm I am actually championship or bust right now. Like I I can't the way this team is playing and with everybody healthy, I can't accept anything less than a finals appearance. It, it's not Eastern Conference Finals anymore. It's finals. Beginning of the season, it was like an Eastern Conference Finals appearance. Now okay. I'm not. I don't think I'm gonna be happy if they don't make the finals. It, it like it, I guess it would have to be a real tough Milwaukee series. That might be the only way I can swallow it. Is a real tough Milwaukee series, but even then, I think it's gonna hurt because this team just seems like they have it figured out right now, man. Um, so are you saying? So are you saying like you you think? Maybe like staying status quo is like and making like a minor, maybe a minor deadline move is like more what you envision like him I, doing. Or I, I think what? I think my technical answer and maybe it's a cop out is I don't think the move exists that really, you know, defines itself as all in and really impacting the future. So I don't think the choice is really there anyway. I think what will be available and what they'll be able to do will also be what they're willing to do. And it'll be things that kind of just, like as far as your cap situation, it either just kind of pushes it forward and leaves it the same or maybe makes it slightly worse. But I don't think there's going to be anything available that then in the offseason we're like, what the fuck do we do? Right. Uh, but at the same time, that means that I don't think that they're making any move that really changes the dynamic dynamic of the team that much. I don't think they're bringing in, I don't think there's a chance to bring in anybody who starts. Uh, I think the starting lineup will be the starting lineup in the playoffs. I think if anything, you're looking for an upgrade at sixth man and letting shake be like the seventh man. Yep. Uh, and you're mainly looking for like a backup stretch four. I think those are the two things and those should be available without really risking too much premium capital. I think, I think you're right. I think um, to the point of like, I don't know, like if the player or the move that like we kind of envision or we hope so, I think most Sixers fans kind of have like an idea of like the guy they're looking for, even if it's not like the superstar. And I I don't know if that's going to be available. And so I I'm I'm curious. I do. I, it's a, the other thing. Like I was talking about Furcon earlier, and like what they do decide to do with him. Like is he someone they use rather than like using picks or you know this New York second rounder we were all like excited about. Like it's it's kind of devalued a little bit. I don't, yeah, you know, they're still with, looking with the moves. There. Like they're really trying to win. So, so you know, if you're just looking at like at like assets, like I could see more being like pretty protective over draft assets right now, knowing that hey, this summer maybe the move we want to make ha- like becomes available to us, and we want to have every available pick to us, and we don't want to mm-hmm. burn our 2021 first on a guy that isn't going to be here. Now, like the name I've thrown out is like Fournier, and I think there's like an argument that. You know, he might be a guy who who you would want to keep long term, and and if that's the case, then maybe you do. Maybe you because you can get him without using Danny Green. It's a little tricky, but you basically have to use like you know all that kind of like cap fodder at the bottom of the roster. But but if you like him enough and you think like his shooting is real and you know he gets the line over five times a game, he, his assist rates like the same as like Lonzo's. Like I know that's another guy people have talked about. Um, he can do like a lot of things. Um, you know, he, he, his playoff performances have not been great. It's pretty limited sample on a really kind of a bad playoff team, quite yeah. honestly. And and his defense, like you know, is is a negative, like for sure. Would how much would be compensated if he was here? So like, I could see that move if if Daryl was like, you know what, 
I think this guy is good enough to be our like a starter with us next year. Like, so I agree with you. Like, I think the argument would be like, hey, come in, be our sixth man. Danny's going to leave in the offseason. You're going to take that salary slot next year and be our starter. You're going to be on a championship caliber team. And like you and Joel can speak French to each other. You're going to love it. <laughs> like, you know, that could be the sales. So I, I think I do think there's like a 20 percent chance something like that could happen where they just feel so good about where they are with like Joe, Ben and um, Tobias as sort of like the pillars that they feel like, hey, if we have Seth and like an Evan Fournier as like our other two guys, and then just keep sort of like stabilizing the bench like with shrewd moves and um, good drafting, I could see them feeling good about that. But but I don't think it's a guarantee. I think to your point, it could be much smaller moves. Yeah, I definitely think that's the case. I mean, I would welcome Evan Fournier for the record, but uh, it, it's it's looking which is kind of crazy. The thing I was looking that he might be the biggest name moved at the deadline, which is he, he's, saying a I lot. Do th- I do think he's going to get moved when you sort of just look at like the magic, I think are like 13th in the East right now. Yeah. He's a, um, he didn't, <clears throat> they didn't extend him. He picked up his player option this season. Um, they've got Terrence Ross who can like kind of fill his role next year on like, they have him on a decent deal. Um, I just I don't see them bringing him back. And I think a team will give up their first round pick for him this year. So, yeah. um, I, Again, I can see the argument both ways. I've you know, talked to a bunch of people of, you know, the pros and the cons. I, I tend to think he might be good enough to be, you know, uh, to kind of like put this team over the top, so especially as a six man. Absolutely, um, just, I would just love to have. That. I mean, as a guy that can, you know, shoots thirty eight percent from three. Again, like this is what I just spit out, and like can get you seventeen points like a night. Like, just imagine. I feel like when I watch the Sixers, I think to myself, I'm like, man, if we just had like one more guy with a little juice. That just yep. could like, you know, and someone was like, well, you know, they ran one of those basketball or stat head reference uh, comps with Shake. And it's it's pretty close, which is a compliment to Shake. And it's like, well, wouldn't it be nice to have two Shakes? Yeah. Like, well, you, the, you know, the difference is Shake does it with such high ceilings and low floors. And Fournier is doing it every night on a pretty safe average. Like if you're like, oh, both these guys can, you know, get you 20 in a playoff game. It's like, yeah, but. I feel like Fournier can get me like 15 every night, whereas I think Shea can get me 25 one night and four the next. Well, and again, and that's like, and it's, and, and it's fine to have both of them, but right, exactly. I feel and that's safer the way, with Fournier for the record. Exactly, so. that's the way I look at it. Where it's like, man, you know, to just have that guy, you know, that you have that guy off the bench, or if Danny Green gets dinged up, or even if Seth gets dinged up, and it's just like we have like we have a starter, we have a starter on our bench right. that hey, you're gonna be our sixth man for this. 20 games or whenever they would trade for him and it's like but but we have plans for you like we like you're going to be part of this team in the future and then um you know that would be a move made with like the future seasons in mind he's 28 years old so he would slide right into like this team's prime so that's like the one guy um i've thought about the other thing like you know i mentioned to you like just some like weird sort of like low-key trades like let I me do give you wonder, the two I have because this is way more your yeah. thing, and you'll, you I might even give, say these. They're not even mine. I'm going to give credit where credit's due. So the, t- the two that I found while I was looking, one came from from my boy Rob Manoff uh, over with me at Last Out Media. Uh, great dude. He's been on the pod a bunch of times. He talked about uh, Wayne Allington from Detroit, how he's on a minimum deal, and may not you may not have to give up too much to get him from Detroit. Uh, we've probably talked about Ellington before in other seasons about him just being a guy that we thought could fit just being a cheaper three-point shooter kind of guy. Uh, what do you think about Wayne Ellington? 
I like Wayne Ellington a lot, and um, I, I like that idea if it was the right price. And and since you're bringing up the Pistons, I'll, I'll, I'll offer you one of my trades, and you're going to be like, this sounds so weird, but I'll, I'll sort of explain why I'm saying it. So Ronnie Magruder has a $5 million op- option for next season, but the option date isn't until July 16th, which will get ri- – like. Um, uh, like they'll move that date to whenever like the end of the season is, okay. you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so what that means is like they could carry that, that contract into next year and have a $5 million contract, just like they do with Mike Scott this year. So if they needed to put a deal together next year, they could do that. Or if they decided that they don't really need him or don't need him to make a, a trade work, they can release him and have no impact on next year's cap. Hmm. So like, if you're talking about Ellington, like, you could fit Ellington and Magruder into your trade exception. And like, you know, was, would the Pistons take, you know, that's where you get into like, what's the right value? Is it one second? Is it two seconds? Do we want to start dipping into like a lot of draft assets? Are we okay with like seconds? But I've been trying to find again with this, like sort of like idea of once Danny Green's gone, if he were to walk, what do you do next season of like having some of that like Mike Scott type of contracts, like those right. medium contracts? So like um, Magruder's is interesting because of that option date that I don't think a lot of people realize. So I think there is some value in having that where you can spin it in a deal. You can keep him. He, he's been an NBA rotation player at times. I don't think he's anything special, but he's, he, he's a guy that can be on a roster or you can just let him go. No, no harm, no foul. So it gives you some optionality. The other guy who's got a similar um, – leaks a little bit more, um, I believe may have an option for next year or not, um, but it would, it's just for next year, is Wancho, uh, Hernan Gomez okay. with the Timberwolves. He's around like $7 million. Um, and I want to say it's not fully guaranteed. I could be wrong on that. But um, he's another guy, fits in the TPE, is a stretch four. Again, I, you know, I don't know if he's like de- – yeah, he's not dependable. He's had a couple of nice games this season and over his career, but he's very inconsistent. But similar idea. Like could you get him – you know, Minnesota's like out these draft picks to Golden State. Like, you know, could you get something from them? Um, you know, or could you I mean, give up something small and get that kind of contract? And now you go into next season knowing like, hey, if I have to like cobble together some money to like go get a Zach Levine or somebody and I don't want to touch – you know, uh, Ben or Tobias or Embiid, I have the contracts right. I can put together. So th- that's just like, th- you know, Fournier's been kind of the guy I want um, if, if they're going to make a meaningful deal. Um, Norm Powell's another guy I like, I think like has been, some people have said he's got like a negative value contract. So call it neutral. It's got an option for next year. He's a guy that's just like a prototypical um, uh, Mori guy, like, only shoots threes and dunks and gets to the foul line. He's not a creator, but um, again, I think would give you an option off the bench that, you know, just gives you a little bit more depth, has played in some big games. So he's a guy I like. Um, but yeah, I've just been thinking some of those like outside the box acquisitions where, you know, you can turn that bottom of the roster like Ferguson and Scott and right. those type of guys and be like, okay, we're going to carry like those values forward for a year and so if like this year the trade doesn't materialize at the trade deadline i've got a four million dollar contract and a seven million dollar contract into next year that i can get an 11 12 13 million dollar guy in the summer or at the next deadline yeah that makes a lot of sense when i think about the ellington and magruder thing i mean when i look at that pairing i think they're definitely like worse than Burks and Glenn Robinson, and we gave up what two seconds for them. 
True. So I would give up two seconds for that pairing, even though it's worse. And I still think that's like fine for Detroit. Um, yeah, I mean the Pistons are, are a little bit pick poor. If you look at, um, there's a couple websites that have like tracked that stuff. I mean, so I know we're in like the you know minutia. I'm sure you know. I don't know how interested in people are in like a Ronnie Magruder trade, but just you know, <laughs> it, it just trying to think like how Maury would think to say like, okay, I, I, he he's going to do. I just have a feeling he's going to do something smart with yes. like the Poirier, Ferguson, Scott bottom of the roster and maybe even bradley and and like i said i, I could see it i you know i don't want to break your heart but i could see furcon being like oh i know me, me, me because because i think he's good um if they want to be careful about like their their um, draft assets so i just i think he's gonna do something there and if it's if to your point if the move's not there to get a guy this year he might be like you know what detroit here's you know here's terrence ferguson give us these two guys we'll give you a second and everyone will be like Okay, great. We got Wayne Ellington and Rodney Magruder, but that move is about like you Setting didn't hurt up yourself. Exactly, you didn't hurt yourself at all this year. Right. You know, you added some shooting, and now you've got this five million dollar contract you can carry in the next year. So I just think I think he's going to do something with those deals. Marty, dude, when they see your name on the podcast, all they're going to think of there's definitely a Rodney Magruder <laughs> trade in this thing. Like, come on, man. <laughs> The people that are tuning in for you are definitely only looking for that. That's why you made sure I put this later in the episode, remember? Hey, that's please, a smart market. Please don't leave anybody. Um, the the other name, and I mean, he's been talked about by Sixers Twitter and everything for uh, years now, and it seems like he this might be the time he's finally on the move, and the the name popped back into my feed thanks to uh, my pal Jimmy McCormick over at ESPN is Bielitsa who the Kings oh, yeah. are like not playing and he wants out and they say they're going to honor getting him a deal. And uh, it looks like he would fit right into a trade exception. What are your thoughts on Bielitsa? I think he'd be great. Um, he makes a lot of sense based on what Doc has been asking for. I mean, it's no secret. I mean, Doc has cleverly like inserted the, the need and want of a backup stretch for um, Jimmy's talked to me about it too. He's kind of like a, to use Jimmy's term, like a bootleg Ryan Anderson when Ryan <laughs> Anderson was good yeah. in the fact that he can really like shoot from deep. Um, I, there seems like there is an opportunity there. And, and again, like that's some outside the box th- uh, thinking like, you know, we, we think it's like, oh, we need a wing, we need a wing. But, you know, if you can get a guy that brings that sort of offensive um, firepower, even if it's at the four, I think that's fine. Yeah, and that's the one, like, everyone talks about, you know, that Golden State model of positionless basketball. And, you know, it, it's a very true thing here and there. We're seeing a lot of the teams that ultimately end up winning have have a lot of, uh, you know, optionality as far as where they're playing guys at. And that's just, you know, not to get back on this topic too much, but that's just one of the other things that I think is always significantly undervalued about Ben Simmons is he creates the flexibility for you to not have to say, I need a wing, I need a four, I need a guard. Like Ben Simmons can do whatever the hell you want. I know on offense it's a little weird, but ultimately like he can do so much even with how he is now that you're not stuck into I need this specific thing. Like go get the best guy. Totally, totally agree. Okay, I'm going to give you one more name, and then I'm going to run away from the mic because sometimes this <laughs> guy's like radioactive. we got two questions, bro. You can't this, go anywhere. Right. This guy's radioactive. But Do you want to save um, it for the end? Do you want to say it? Well, no, I'll say it right now. I'll say All it right, right now. But you don't, you don't have to give a reaction if, if you don't really well, have it. That sounds one. like I'm going um, to. <laughs> uh, Rajon Rondo. I love Rajon Rondo. I mean, he's I like— I've always loved Rajon Rondo. I'd like, rather Rajon Rondo than Lonzo. 
he doesn't even like really play for the Hawks. I mean, he's playing a little bit. Um, I mean, obviously Trey is like the guy there. I mean, I don't yeah. know how important how important Rondo is to them. Um, the only problem is I don't, I don't know, know if Atlanta moves him in the East. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But he's another guy. He carries like 75. He fits into the TPE. He would be on the books for like 7,500 next year. Um, I don't know. It's just somebody to think about. I love Rajon Rondo, man. I'm all about it. But yeah, that's definitely going to upset some people. All right. So all right, we, had, do we, got? we had a couple two, good questions. We had, we had two really good questions submitted. One is from my friend Uncle Randy. And it is what's we kind of talked about this, but we can really uh, you know get on it a little bit. What stands out the most that has caused the difference or improvement in the fourth quarter defense versus previous years? We know this team was definitely subject to a lot of big letdowns later on, and I, I would even kind of stretch this out to the second half because we know, especially last year, like this was a team that just completely shit the bed in the third quarter. And now it seems like they're a team that just has to kind of figure out their way to halftime, and then they're just absolutely putting the clamps on teams later on. And I wanted to shout out a, a really awesome stats guy for the, for the Sixers, uh, our dude Brock Landis. You can find him on stay Twitter. Stay solid. At Landis Brock, stay solid, baby. But he put out there that the Sixers' fourth quarter defense, here's their rankings. They're third in steals, first in blocks, and first in defensive rating as far as the fourth quarter. So clearly they are a dominant fourth quarter team. And my favorite thing about that is – we always talk about the difference between the regular season and the playoffs, but the closest thing you're getting in the regular season to playoff basketball is the fourth quarter. It's definitely played different. There's no arguing that teams don't you know lock it down a little bit more. You force teams into more of a half-court offense, especially when you get in that last four to five minutes, and the Sixers are excelling in that situation, which has to give you some confidence that that can translate pretty well to the playoffs. So, Marty, what, what's your first thought when you think of what's the biggest uh, cause for the improvement there for the Sixers? So I think um... – I think Embiid's conditioning, of course, is a big part of it. Uh, I think the guys, and you've heard a couple of them say this, like they're very comfortable in understanding their roles defensively. And then I do think, like you know, something we haven't had here in so long, and probably need to like give a little credit to, is like continuity. Like you know, especially with like Tobias, Ben, and um, and Joe, but even with Matisse and Shake, like they were on the team last year. Um, but the big, our our quote unquote big three. Um, have has played like a full season now plus part of another season plus part of this season so i think they've gotten used to each other and i think from like one thing that's really good about tobias and ben and joe is like while their skills certainly like aren't the ideal fit together and like basically like two fours and a five kind of um i think i think their personalities kind of do and i think like tobias is like the right kind of personality and ben sort of being low-key like you know i think like you know, with, with Embiid sort of kind of, like, running, like, so, like, hot and cold, I think having guys, like, two other guys that are sort of, like, right. even Steven is, is just good. So I, I think – I don't think it's the biggest thing, but I think the fact that these guys have played together now and, and trust each other and, and probably developed, like, you know, that, that sort of on-court chemistry has helped. I definitely agree. And the the only thing I think I can add to that, and maybe it's not as necessarily important in the fourth quarter, but I think it has just set them up for more overall success, and it's translating to being able to be effective in the fourth. And especially when you talk about Joel um, being fresh, one is there's no Al Horford because that was a fucking mess. And that also translates pretty well to Tobias because Tobias is just playing better on both sides of the court, being in his natural position and not being forced to, to play out of place. But the other thing... 
that I, I've also seen people kind of like complaining on, kind of similar to, to Danny Green uh, that you brought up and a move that I loved when it happened and I still love now is it's just nice to have when Embiid plays, it's so nice to have Dwight Howard as the backup. And I think that like, you know, if you're going to shit on how Dwight Howard has played, like, you know, he, he's he been fine, but he's he's done enough to where you're not needing Embiid to play 38 minutes in meaningless he, games. Dwight, Dwight's been great. I mean, he's another guy that like everyone likes to like throw their arms up about his yeah. foul shooting sucks and he fouls a lot. Like, dude, like dude. I found out like five minutes before we did a, a pod in the in the offseason that we got him and I was so happy and I was like the I was looking online and I'm like. People don't like this move. I fucking love this move, he, and I still he, do now. Dude, I like backup center is um you know everyone talks about this stretch five like oh the Sixers need a stretch five and it's like it's like a unicorn man like they don't exist like <laughs> stretch fives are like all star players like Carl Towns is a stretch five like, yeah, like we had a stretch five stretch. right we had a stretch five it was Al Horford and it was a disaster <laughs> because he can only play like. Guys who can only play 12 minutes a night that are, like, stretch fives. Like, Dwayne Dedman's, like, out of the league. Like, Luke Cornett can't even play for the Bulls. Like, so that player doesn't exist. So what you really, in in my opinion, that's a backup. Any stretch five that's decent is is starting or is an all-star. So to me, it's we need someone to defend the rim and rebound and, like, basically, like, not get in the way. And, like, I think Dwight's done all that. And I really don't know what more you can ask for from him. I agree. And we talked earlier, and, and on this podcast especially, I've talked about it all the time, uh, about that defensive scheme involving Joel Embiid and, the, and that Batman position. Like, you needed somebody who could do that because you're not going to change the scheme for the backup big. Like, they got to come in and do the same thing because you're too yep. built around it with your starters that you're not going to have an entirely different philosophy for the time he's on the court. Somebody's got to come in and try to do that. You know, are they going to be as good as Embiid? No. Fucking nobody is. Like, you have to accept right. that. But Dwight right. has sure as hell held his own in it, and he's the perfect fit for it because he's just rebounding, fucking putting back dunks. Like, that's all you want out of him. He doesn't have to get his own offense like Embiid does. He doesn't have to stretch the floor like Embiid does. Like, just stand there, rebound the ball, and protect the rim. We've wanted Greg Monroe it- to do it. We've wanted Amir Johnson to do it. We wanted Al Horford to do it. None of them did. Dwight doesn't. Everyone's still mad it's uh i mean dwight is an experience it's certainly an experience every night but but I, again <laughs> like I, I don't know it's just it, it's similar to danny green where it's just like well, i don't really understand what people like expect and like i don't think people are truly like understanding the impact like just because like yeah he fouls like a ton and yeah. and you know like he, he he flubs like these weird dunks but like honestly it's okay like yeah, it's it, it is it's it's okay <laughs> Because he's he's like leading the league in rebounding per minute, I think I yeah. saw, and like he's defending the rim like as good as like like he has in like five years, like it, it, it really good stuff. And so. I know he has a history, but as since he's been here, man, like he seems like he's a great personality for the team too. Like he does have like the veteran leadership thing, but he also seems like he's having a lot of fun. He seems like they, he's like like, if, like everyone vibes with him. They like him, and I think honestly, for Embiid, it's kind of like a good cautionary tale where it's like you were every like everyone loved you, and then like you kind of hit this weird part in your career where kind of people turn on you. Mm-hmm. And so I think like you know he's able to maybe speak to that a little bit. Like it seems like he and Embiid have like a little bit of like a at least a banter together. Yeah. Um, you know where like, I don't know like it definitely seemed like there wasn't a good relationship with Horford because I think no. maybe there was like a competitive thing where I think it's very clear it's like Embiid starter 
Dwight back up, there's probably like mutual respect there. Well, I th- I mean I I blame Horford entirely for the entire Joel not wanting to like talk shit anymore. I think Horford came I, in and dadded the hell out of them, and I don't I, think it'd be yeah. I blame it. I blame Al Horford for the pandemic. Like I blame him for everything. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. The the other question we had, which I I'm really excited for your answer. I feel like I kind of copped out here, but I do have an answer. This is from our buddy Pronounce Ours on Twitter. What trade by an Eastern Conference rival would terrify you the most? And I'll get mine out of the way, and maybe you need a minute to, to figure yours out, but you're going to be much better with figuring out what might actually be possible and names and everything. Here's what I'll say. Where my mind initially went when I was asked this question was Milwaukee because they're still the team that scares me the most, and they seem like the best team that has the possibility to still make a move that makes them better. Obviously, then that's already kind of did with Harden. So let's kind of throw that out the window. But so I started looking into like if I could find any news about what like Bucks blogs or even like national reports are saying about the Bucks and what they can do. And I got to tell you, Marty, I don't know if you've looked into any of this, but after reading some of this stuff. I want them to make a deal. I want them to make a deal so fucking bad because they think they're going to get better, but they're going to get worse. Because here's the thing. Every single thing that I read or saw people talk about, if they want to make a move, it sounds pretty much like to get anybody that would make any difference, they're going to move Brooke Lopez. And they're not going to hmm. get a big back. They're going to get like a three-point shooting guard. They're gonna. They're, they're talking about Fournier. They're talking about Redick. They're talking about these like shooters. And I'm like, if you trade Brooke Lopez, Joel Embiid is going to fucking kill you. Like, he probably will anyway, but Brooke Lopez is the only guy on that team that could give Joel Embiid any trouble right now. And if they move him for a shooter, Embiid's going to kill them. I kind of want them to do a deal. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I didn't really think I, I, I kind of. So I was researching this the other day. The only teams, the only like quote unquote good teams that can make that can trade a first round pick this season are is Philly, Boston, and Denver. Um, either because the other teams don't have a first this year, or because they just traded one this past year and you can't do it in consecutive years. Okay. So I, I, I don't know like what Milwaukee. I, I mean, I guess if they use Brook Lopez, that would that would work. But um, I would say there's two things that, and I don't. I guess I wouldn't say terrify me. I guess I'd have to think about what the player was, but you know, Boston does have this monster like um, uh, TPE from the the Hayward deal with Charlotte, and they can use their picks, and they've got some, I guess, interesting young guys. I, they're not like there's no one that really does anything for me, but but you know, there's some young guys, I guess. So I guess them using that to to get somebody that's like meaningful would be like oh shit, like because right now to what we talked about earlier. I feel like we would be in a good position to like to beat them in a series. The other one that would just like more piss me off is if and and I know like I understand that drum like Embiid has his way with Drummond, so it's again it wouldn't like terrify me. It would just kind of piss me off. But is like if like someone like Drummond or someone who's like a half decent center just gets bought out and goes to Brooklyn, like it would just like that would just piss me off. Like you know again I know Embiid like you know will be fine against it, but like. It, that would just piss me off. But right like, now it bullshit. is such a disparity, and if they just bridge the gap because they have it, the other exa- stars, it, it's like fucking exactly, bullshit. Exactly. So you go from like him just like literally being able to put like 40 up a night to like now it's 32. Like that could be the difference. Sure. And that that That's would – again, it doesn't terrify me, but that would like 
that would piss me off if like they basically get like a starting center just on a buyout like right. that would that would make me so mad no that that's a really i had i hadn't considered that because at this point i've just like eliminated the idea of the nets doing anything else but you're right i mean it's very much the kind of situation we've seen before so that would be pretty frustrating and and to your point i you know drummond's not shutting him down by any means but right now you are looking for Drummond be the average like 37 38 a game in a series with them if it comes to it and he's definitely probably going to be closer to 30 if they get anybody serviceable at center just by you know sheer luck if if anything else uh if we're talking about what would piss me off it's definitely going to be what we talked about which is Corkmaz going to Boston which wouldn't even be a <laughs> trade probably but signing nah, next season but boy that would piss uh, me off but <laughs> yeah uh Marty that's that's all I've got man uh I think we covered a lot and I'm really really happy about it uh do you have any thoughts I, I know you you kind of said we should talk about the games we talked la- about last night a little bit but tomorrow night uh, at Portland, who you know beat us up a little last week. That was what no Ben, but Embiid did play. I think so. I think, I that's think that's that ben was. The, I think that's the case. Yeah, that was, and they were really disappointed in their effort. I, I I'm, I'm expecting. I, you know, who knows about a win, but I'm expecting a good effort tomorrow. And um, like you, man, I'm just enjoying this season. Um, you know, I think like the last. You know, we talked about some like you know current like our lives before this like you know the pandemics put things in perspective so i don't quite live and die as much like every game i've, I've really just enjoyed this season so you know I, I hope it just keeps rolling i hope you know they stay healthy and i just i hope they get a shot man i hope they get a shot you know fully healthy in the playoffs maybe with one or two like you know key additions and uh see what happens man i'm really really pumped and i'm glad we got a chance to chat tonight we always end up going like 20 minutes longer than we say we're gonna but yeah. just because the conversation all, all things good. all things considered this this timed up pretty well this should end up just about like an hour 20 or so so i think we'll be all right all right we, well we had, te- we had technical snow, difficulties so yeah there's some snow coming too i think today like tonight and tomorrow or friday so maybe people can get out and use it as a excuse to yeah. shovel their snow I mean, and that that's why i was like you know this should have shelf life like we didn't really talk this like about last night and and we didn't talk about the kings and the blazers game we talked about you know a lot of bigger picture stuff so this should have some good shelf life and obviously all the trade talk is definitely going to continue for you know a few weeks still so there's there's plenty to digest so again i i'm sure if you're listening you already follow marty but make sure you follow him on twitter at mw teller you can follow process potables at process potables you can follow me dan at dan says that and you can find everything process potables at www.processpotables.com we're on all the social stuff and everything like that marty thank you again for staying up late for potables after dark it's been a hell of a time i'm sure i'll see you on Twitter tomorrow night as the Sixers take on Portland in Portland at 10 o'clock. Uh, you know, stay up with me and Marty and hang out as we can enjoy our Sixers. And and really, like, I wrote, in our, like, to the last thing I'll plug here is, you know, I, I'm really focusing on some bigger picture stuff uh, with what I'm doing at last out, but I'm trying to get back to writing a little bit. And my favorite thing I've written since I got there was about how, like, you can just enjoy – things sometimes and and i'm a that was good i read that i'm a a victim of this man so i really kind of like that was one of those things you 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 write and then have to like read back to yourself and be like yeah like you know you this is coming from a place of understanding of of falling in to this trap and that was before i think that was before i even really bought into this team like even then i was enjoying and just wanted to enjoy and i think that might have even been me like hedging my bet a little bit but like i said man like right now like like basically since that lakers game uh, especially and then like the comeback against the Pacers and like like I'm I'm in man I'm so mm-hmm. 
and and I'm just enjoying it. And you know, if something comes along to throw a wrench in that, like what usually happens in my life, then I'll address that with my therapist at some point. But right now, dude, like <laughs> I don't need the hate on Danny Green or Dwight Howard just because there's not much else to say. Like just enjoy it. We're cruising, and we'll figure out what to complain about when something actually comes up. Hopefully it doesn't, <laughs> but with our luck, we know it probably will. So, Marty, thanks again. I uh, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and trust the podcast.